Famous last words. Let's begin our time this morning by thinking about the famous last words of a few famous people. Queen Elizabeth I said this, all my possessions for just a moment. Frida Kahlo said, I hope the exit is joyful and I hope never to return. Bob Marley, money can't buy life. And Oscar Wilde, my wallpaper and I are in a duel to the death. One or the other of us has to go. So last words are interesting, aren't they? They can be thoughtful or regretful, spiteful or funny. Sometimes people look back on their lives with satisfaction. But a lot of times, often, people reflect on their time on this earth with regret, wishing they had spent more time with loved ones and less time chasing the things of this world. Really, you can learn a lot about a person by their last words, what they articulate at the end of their life. And today, we're going to hear the last words of Jesus, or at least some of his last words. What do they say about him, and what do they say about you? Do they say anything about you? These may be the most important words that have ever been spoken on planet Earth. They may be the most important uh, thing you've ever heard. And I pray that they can even be the most important words in your life as well. And this is a sermon. These, these are words that we all need to hear. Um, this is the sermon for the person who maybe has never heard about Jesus and has never heard anything about his life. Um, this is going to be a, a, maybe a lot of brand new information for you. Maybe you're here and you've kind of lost your faith that you once had. May this be a spark to remind you of the faith that God had given you. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian that's been faithful for most of your life. Yet, sometimes we can grow dissatisfied or a little bored with the gospel and, and the message. So may this sermon be a, a sermon that sparks all of us, from the person who's never heard of Jesus to the person who's believed in Jesus for a lifetime. Just pray that these few words that Jesus said at the end of his life from the cross would be an inspiration to you and maybe change a life this morning. So if you have a Bible, let's turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We're going to look at just three verses. Verse 28, 29, and 30 in the book of John. And it'll be in the New Testament. You go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you hit Acts and Romans and 1 Corinthians, you've gone too far. Look at John and turn to chapter 19. As you turn there, let's think of a little bit, little bit of context, right? Uh, when we read the Bible, the, the rule of thumb is context is king. You always have to let the context tell you what's going on. So this morning as we read from chapter 19, we're going to realize this is at the end of Jesus' life. Uh, Jesus had, had been born uh, to Mary and Joseph. He lived a perfect life, a life where he grew in obedience and favor in the Lord. And he lived a perfect life, a life that um, was absent of any kind of sin. And as he lived a perfect life and as he followed the Lord closely, that didn't really set well with a lot of people. Have you noticed sometimes when you do the right thing in life, people that aren't doing the right thing don't like it? Have you ever noticed that? That happened to Jesus. As he lived the right life, the, the, the Romans that he was around, the Jewish people that he was around started to dislike him because he was teaching them how to follow God in a way that they were not familiar with. Um, they had gotten stuck in their religion, like a lot of people do now. And as Jesus taught the truth, that rubbed them the wrong way. So there was a plot to kill Jesus, and that plot came into fruition. And at this point in our story, we find Jesus, who has gone, just gone through several trials, 
and has been taken to a hill outside the city and has been crucified. And we find Jesus hanging on the cross. And there's actually seven statements that Jesus says from the cross. We call them the seven statements of the cross. And we're going to look at one of those that's possibly his last word, but at least his sixth statement, right? It's maybe seven, but it's at least six. So let's read these words that Jesus said from the cross on the last day of his life. John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30 says this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you for these words that were spoken by Jesus from the cross. God, we thank you that as he hung there on the cross and died, he accomplished everything he set out to accomplish. God, we want to pray that we can ponder on and think about and let these words sink down into our hearts this morning. God, we pray that these words would even apply to us. God, we want to ask that you would help us to understand your word and help me to be faithful to it and that we might respond in a way that you would have us respond. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So these famous last words in the English language is, it is finished. In Greek, as you guys know, if you speak two languages, you'll notice that sometimes languages don't do a perfect translation. The Greek is actually just one single word, tetelestai, which means it is finished. But Greek is kind of more efficient than our language, so it can smush it all into one word and just say it. So he says one word, tetelestai, it is finished. It is finished. But what do those words mean? What are those words actually saying? What is the it, right? If Jesus did it, what did he do? Well, let's think about what these words mean for us. So number one, the phrase, it is finished, says, I kept my promises. That's the first thing that phrase says to us. It is finished says, I kept my promises. As you read the Gospels, and that's the part of the New Testament that talks about Jesus' life, you begin to see this little phrase repeated over and over and over. It was to fulfill the Scripture. What that means is that God said a lot of stuff in the Old Testament, and He made a lot of promises. But really, you could sum all those promises up into one single promise. I will fix this. I will fix this. Remember Adam in the garden? Maybe, maybe we've heard of Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember Adam was in the garden and he had a perfect relationship with God. He was in perfect relationship with God, was in God's presence, could be around God. But he and his wife Eve chose to disobey God and rebel against him. And when they did that, that was, that was history shattering. It broke the timeline. It, it messed things up. It broke not only our relationship with God, but also it broke the world that we live in. Now, I'm sure that I don't even need to think of any illustrations or applications to make that point true to you. If you're alive and you're breathing, you've experienced brokenness. It's kind of the air that we swim in. It's the air that we breathe. Think of your own personal relationships, your own life. You can probably see brokenness in your life. Maybe you came from a broken home when you were younger. Um, maybe you have broken relationships with your coworkers or your family. 
There's brokenness all around us. Hurt and pain, regret and guilt. Just That's just in our one little bubble, right? Then just watch the news for a little while. If it doesn't break your heart about what's going on in the Middle East right now, whether you are agree with Palestine or Israel, it doesn't matter. What's going on is a picture of brokenness. That kind of thing is not supposed to happen. We hear about it and it breaks our heart because we know that's not right. That's not the way the world is supposed to look. We know that in our heart of hearts. And what God did on that day after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, he made a promise. He said, I'm going to fix this. Now I'm summarizing. He didn't say that word. You're not going to go back to Genesis 3 and find, I will fix this, God. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm summarizing the saying, God, from Genesis chapter 3, which is all the way back here in this part of the book, the rest of this book, all the way up to Jesus, is God making promises and giving pictures of how he is going to fix the world. So these promises in the Old Testament look a lot like, number one, pictures. They look like pictures of, uh, pictures of this, feeling, this um, God fixing this relationship. You remember Noah and the ark? Do you remember that story? Because that's a story about God saving people who trusted some guy's work on a wooden boat. Now, we know that Jesus, in the same way, God is saving people who trust in Jesus' work on a wooden cross. So you can see that little picture of Noah's ark and, and, and this righteous man building a boat to save people through wood is also similar to what Jesus does on the cross, right? He is a righteous man who does a mighty work on a wooden cross. Just a small picture of what Jesus would do. Remember the Passover lamb when the children of Israel were captive in Egypt and God was going to deliver them out of it? That, that last plague that God sent, he said, There's going to, death is going to come through and kill the firstborn, but if you take the blood of a lamb and put it over your doorpost, you'll be saved. The, 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 the wrath will pass over you. Well, in the same way, Jesus is our Passover lamb. Trusting in him is like having that blood over the top of your life that provides salvation and his wrath passes over us. Remember the tabernacle and the temple? Tabernacle is a fancy word for tent. Um, but there were these two things in the Old Testament, this tent that the people would carry around and this temple that they eventually built. That temple and that tabernacle were places where man could draw near and come close to God. But Jesus, in Jesus, God has come close to man. He came and tabernacled with us or made his dwelling among us, pitched his tent with us. Remember David and Goliath? Let me give you a hint. You're not David in the story. Actually, Jesus is David in that story. You don't need to learn to fight your battles better. What you need to do is let Jesus fight your battles for you. And just like Jesus went before the people of Israel and represented them and fought their greatest enemy and gave them victory, in the same way Jesus does that for us, he fights our biggest enemies, sin and death. And he comes out victorious and he gives that victory to us. All throughout the Old Testament, there's these little pictures of this person that would come and fix everything. But in all those little pictures, eventually those little pictures failed because they weren't the real picture. They weren't the substance, which is Christ. David failed, Abraham failed, Moses failed. Every great person in the Old Testament eventually fell short of providing salvation for God's people. But Jesus is the fulfillment of that picture. And not only do we see this promise in pictures in the Old Testament, we also see this promise in prophecies. Prophecies, these were things that God spoke beforehand that would come to fruition later on. And the Old Testament's full of prophecies about Jesus, where he would be born 
down to the name Bethlehem, who his parents were and what their bloodline would be, that he would be descended from Abraham and David, that he would be born of a virgin. There's even prophecies of his death and how that would happen. Psalm 22 says this. Notice how similar this is to the, to the, to the crucifixion. It says, For dogs, they encompass me. A company of evildoers surrounds me, and they have pierced my hands and my feet. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lots. That happened at the crucifixion of Jesus. His hands pierced, his feet pierced, and they cast lots, rolled the dice to see who would get his garments so they could maybe go and sell them or, or do whatever. Isaiah 53 talks about how he would be pierced for our sins, for our transgressions. In Psalm 69, 21 says this, For my thirst they gave me sour wine. Remember what this verse just said? It said that he was given a sour wine on the cross. All of these prophecies were things that God had made, promises that God had given, and when Jesus said, it is finished, he was saying, I've kept all of those promises. Everything that God said he was going to do in the Old Testament, I have done, and it is finished. These promises and prophecies were pictures and pictures were all weaving together this beautiful picture that God was painting of redemption for the human race. And we have to see the Bible as just that. It's not just a collection of a bunch of books that are out of date and old and not relevant. No, it's a painting that God was doing over thousands of years, many centuries, culminating in Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins. At the center of Jesus' life is the death and resurrection, and that's what we look to today. So each of our lives, though, in some sense, is a microcosm of the story I just told you. Adam and Eve and our whole our human race, we were broken, and Jesus came to fix us, but that's a, your life is a microcosm of that. We talked earlier, each of us has experienced brokenness in our lives. Each of us has experienced that. We have sinned and we've hurt people, we've harmed people, we've done things that we regret, we look back and we uh, were filled with guilt and remorse. But instead of God looking at us and saying, I told you so, get on out of here, he draws near to you in your, deep, in your darkest point, when you're deepest in sin, he says, I love you, I'm gonna keep my promise to you. And if you turn from your sins and trust in him, He's going to keep that promise to you. And nothing can ever change that. When Jesus says it is finished, what that means is he keeps his promises. But second, what else does it is finished mean? It is finished says I paid the debt. First, it says I kept the promise. Second, it says I paid the debt. In addition to these promises and pictures we see in the Old Testament, we also see punishments in the Old Testament. There was a law that God gave that, God gave that said, this is what you should live like. None of us live like that. And the punishment for that is death. The punishment for that is death. It's not because God hates us that the punishment is death. It's that God is so holy and pure and sinless that the only thing that can even come close to equating that is the preciousness of life. The preciousness of life. So if there's a sin, there must be punishment for that sin. A blood sacrifice. And there was a debt to be paid. And it was a debt that we could never pay back. We could never, ever pay that loan back, that debt that we incurred by sinning. It's greater than anything we could ever come up with. There was a, um, there was a scandal that happened. Um, if you have Netflix, there's a show called Dirty Money on there. You can go and watch this. And there was a scandal about payday loans. Okay, And what they would do is they would give these little micro loans to folks. They'd be 
couple hundred bucks, maybe $500, and they would get a bill that would say, hey, your debt is, uh, your payment fee is, is this amount of money, maybe 100 bucks. You'd pay that, but what was hidden in the, in the small little details of that was if you didn't pay it all off that first month, you got a, a, a $100 reoccur- like a, a reinvestment fee. So to keep that loan, you had to, they give you an extra $100 charge each month. So people would pay that loan back. They thought they were making their payment. So by the end of their payment, they'd paid five payments of 100 bucks. They finally got a statement at the end that said, you still owe $500. Obviously, people were mad. But that's the kind of thing that happens with our sin debt. No matter how many good works we do, no matter how much effort we put forth, we'll still come back and there'll be a debt that we owe. No matter what we pay, we can never pay that debt off because that debt is so great. Even our good works cannot help us. It's like throwing water on an electrical fire. It's not a good idea. It just makes things worse. But here's the great part. The God that demanded the debt provides the payment. The God that demanded the debt from you is also the God that provides the payment. Now, parents, I know how crazy that sounds. It's like you, your kid getting in trouble and you tell them, go clean your room, that's your punishment, and then you go in there and clean their room for them. It doesn't that, make, that, that doesn't make sense, right? It, it's a punishment that God has given us, but then he says, I'm gonna take it. It's like the judge standing on his seat with the gavel, slamming it down and saying, death. And then him getting off of his seat, coming down to stand by you and saying, actually, I'm going to be the one that pays that debt for you. When Jesus said it is finished, what he meant is he paid the debt that you owed and it is now finished. It's done. And I know that some of us, probably most of us in our lives, we have something in our past that we look back at and and, and it gets we get reminded of that sin that we've committed Maybe you're reminded of it by the person you hurt. Maybe you're reminded of it by a place you go. Maybe you're reminded by, of it by a time of the season. Maybe you hurt somebody's feelings at Thanksgiving, and now every time Thanksgiving rolls around, you think, man, I really wish I hadn't said that back in 1999 or whenever it was, right? That, the, that reminder of your sin keeps coming up and coming up, like a bill that shows up in the mail every month, shows up and it reminds you, I'm still in debt to that. I'm still in debt to that. What It Is Finished does is it changes that situation and says, you don't have to be reminded of that sin any longer because it is paid, paid in full. One of the most beautiful things you can experience in life is when you buy that house or that truck or that whatever, that big massive payment that really you didn't, you couldn't afford and finally you get it paid off and you get that final receipt that comes to you and it says paid in full, done. You don't have to worry about another bill coming next week. And if you have bought a house, somehow, Everybody and their dog gets a hold of your information. They send you uh, letters about how you can help pay off your debt sooner, right? What happened when we paid off our house? We paid our debt. We got it paid off. And then some of those letters kept coming from those third parties that said, hey, you want to refinance your loan? And we, even when those little reminders get brought up, all we had to say was, debt's paid. I got the paper that says my debt is paid. Now, you're going to get reminded just like those third parties that wanted to remind me of my home loan, you're going to get reminded by people in your life, hey, you're just dirty, rotten sinner. Hey, don't you remember that time? Remember when you said that, when you did this, when you went to that place? Those reminders come up, and all you have to do is whip out that paper that says paid in full. Paid in full. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, what, that, what he really said was, I pay the debt. 
And now third, when he says it is finished, he also says you're forgiven and loved. And those are words that we have to learn to let apply to ourselves. Right before we said it is finished tells us about who Jesus is. He's a promise keeper and a debt payer. But now, when you think about the words, it is finished, those words not only apply to Jesus and what he did, but can also apply to your life and who you are. Because sometimes, I just mentioned, sometimes we get reminded of our sin and the conviction that we have in our lives. Sometimes the person that brings that up the most is ourselves. Sometimes we're the person that reminds ourselves of how bad we are and how much sin we've committed. Sometimes we're the person that says, you know what? I'm not worth anything. I am worthless. I am nothing. We bring that condemnation on ourselves. We're our own worst critic most of the time. People have that tendency and that that ability to be a self-judge. Now, when we doubt the validity of that letter that says it is finished, what we really doubt is God. When we think we're doubting our own salvation, when we think, man, am I really good? Or am I, I'm bad, I'm, I'm not good enough. What we're saying is Jesus' death wasn't good enough. How silly would it be for you to keep going back to the bank to try to pay off your home loan when it has been completely taken care of? People are going to look at you and they're going to say, what, what are you trying to do? Why are, you, why are you trying to pay this back? It's already been paid for. It's done. It is finished. Now, sometimes we can get into that mode where we think, I've got to do more to make myself right with God. I've got to be at church more. I've got to give more money. I've got to hold the door open for more grandmas. I've got to do all of these things that can make me right before God. And doing those things in and of themselves is not bad. But when you think, I have to do these or God's going to not love me tomorrow. If I don't get up and do my quiet time, God won't love me. If I don't spend enough time in prayer tomorrow, God's not going to love me. That's the wrong attitude. And when you think that, when you think I'm not doing enough to make God love me, What you're really doing is doubting Jesus' sacrifice for your sins. So when he says it is finished, what he meant is your debt is paid. It really is finished. And what he's saying is you, if you trust in that debt or in that payment, you really are forgiven and you really are loved. How could we ever doubt that we're forgiven? How could we ever doubt that we're loved? How could we ever doubt our value? Jesus died for you. He loved you so much that he died for you. You should value yourself just as much as Christ valued you. And you should give that life back to him in return. Because those who trust in Jesus and trust in these last words, these last words don't just have to apply to Jesus's life. When he said, it's finished, I've paid the debt. That's also what Jesus says over your life as well. It's finished. It's done. You don't have to work anymore. As a matter of fact, even trying to work is is not going to help. It is finished. So this morning, as we pray and close up this morning, I want you to take some time as we sing this next song. It's, going to be, it's called Jesus Paid It All. Um, it's just an opportunity for us to reflect and think about uh, what Jesus did on the cross. So this morning, I want, you to, I want you to think. There's two categories of people probably here. This is a good group of people, and it, it would be silly of us to think that everyone in this room it, it has a perfect relationship with Christ. None of us do, but it'd be silly for us to think that there's, everyone in here has a relationship with the Lord. I'm guessing there's some of us in here who don't have a relationship with the Lord. Some of us in here might not have a relationship with the Lord. And some of you do. So those two categories of people this morning. If you have a relationship with the Lord, 
Man, just relish in that as you sing this song. Let it be reminded of you that Jesus really did pay it all. There's not anything left on the bill. He has paid it all. If you're not a Christian this morning, realize that those words, Jesus paid it all, can 100% apply to you. It's not for some other group of people that are special and religious and, and of a certain type. No, it is finished. Jesus paid it all can apply to anyone and everyone who simply turns from their sins and trusts in him. So which category are you in this morning? Who's going to have the last word in your life? Who's going to have the last word in your life? Is it going to be you with those words of condemnation? Or is it going to be Christ who looks at you and says, it is finished. I have paid the price. Let's pray.